We Saw a Thing is a movie podcast about remakes and sequels. We, we saw a thing and talked about it. This week, the guys are talking about Fright Night. The following conversation has been edited for brevity. I'm going to go out on a limb and say you never saw these movies before. That is a good limb to be on, sir. <laughs> Not only is it an 80s flick and a cult flick at that, we also have horror films, so... I just figure not your usual fare. Yeah, definitely, definitely not my usual fare. But I have a question right off the hop. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Is the one from 1985, why would they remake that movie? Is it some sort of cult classic? Did I miss something? I don't understand the charm of that one. Yeah, it was a huge, huge success. The number two horror movie of 1985 it was a massive summer success for, uh, I believe it's Sony or Columbia Pictures at the time. And it has a real cult following, sort of in the, the vein of like the Lost Boys and other horror things of that genre. You got to remember in the 80s, horror was a massive draw for teenagers. That's why they had a bajillion Freddies and Jasons and Michael Myers. So anytime they were trying to get anything out the door that was horror, uh, they knew it was going to be on the cheap and they would probably get their money back. Gotcha. Okay. So there's like a lot of nostalgia with this movie then. Is it the genre that I don't get? Is it, what is it about this that I'm not getting? Is it the nostalgia? Is it the genre? Why didn't the 1985 version connect with me when it's a cult classic, like you're saying? Uh, Well, I don't think it's a great movie. (laughs) I think it's fun. Like, ultimately, here's the thing. This is a really weird movie. It is. Taking what people loved about 70s horror, which is that campy classic stuff trying to put it into instead of gothic horror into a suburban setting in a reality and the pacing is all messed up and i think that's a problem that is solved in the remake i totally agree the remake not only solved a lot of the pacing problems it solved a lot of the narrative problems too by just putting things in different order or taking things out completely or having things happen earlier in the story than later in the story or like clearing up that his buddy evil was a bit of a nerd that nobody liked which wasn't clear in the original but was definitely clear in the new one And props to Marty Noxon because she put together a a pretty half-decent script that I laughed out loud at the new one, but I I didn't really connect with the old one at all. I I struggled with the old one. The old one is is weird, and it's something that, like, I give a a, a good, I give it a pass because the thing that wins out every time on these 80s horror movies are the practical effects. Oh, yeah. The practical effects outshine CGI nine out of ten times. The melting bodies were outrageous. (laughs) It was so weird and gross and creepy and completely unnecessary. (laughs) Okay, why did his buddy Evil turn into a werewolf all of a sudden halfway through the movie? He's just a wolf for no reason, but then he's a melting wolf, kind of, and then he's like kind of changing back into a human, and the whole thing felt like it took an hour and a half for him to die. It was so overblown. (laughs) Back in the 80s, people who liked vampire movies know that vampires can turn into wolves and bats 
and smoke. Is that a thing? That is a thing in vampire lore. See, this is the thing I'm not aware of, so I'm just laughing at this dumb movie for now having a vampire who's a werewolf. And it was clever in the reboot, or no, I'm going to say a remake, because it's a pretty straight remake. But there is a scene where I guess Amy shoots Jerry, who's played by Colin Farrell, and it's a silver bullet. So he makes a joke about werewolves. And I'm curious if that's because in the original people were like, why is he a wolf now? Why is he half man, half wolf? Yeah, see, and I wondered about that in the moment. I really enjoyed that there were a couple of those callbacks like uh, Chris is it Sarandon? Chris Sarandon was Jerry in the original. Right. He also played uh, Prince Humperdinck in Princess Bride, which I thought was hilarious. Because uh, I was like, where do I know this guy from? Where do I know him from? So he shows up in the new one. He's the guy who hits them in the van when they're driving away from uh, from Colin Farrell's character. And then Colin Farrell comes and just like kills him immediately. I thought that was great. They also kept the fact that uh, Jerry the vampire eats uh, apples. So that was a decision that Chris Sarandon made because he thought Jerry was part fruit bat. So he wanted to incorporate, I'm serious, he wanted to incorporate more fruit and he ate apples because his character was part fruit bat. Are you serious? I cannot make this up. Oh, my God. Oh, I may need to watch the old movie again because I think that that might make me love it. Oh, Jay, that is the dumbest thing I've, I think I've ever heard. He really wanted his vampire to have more depth and not be just an evil, evil guy. So, so right, Fruit Bat, sure. <laughs> There's your depth. <laughs> the interesting thing is he also added that he knew Amy from a long time ago, and that's why he wanted Amy. That was Ugh. his decision because, again, he didn't want to be just this evil bad guy. God, I'm, I'm really glad they took that out of the new one because it added nothing to the original except him just being creepy. Also, can, I need to ask you about this as well because, again, I'm not big in the horror genre. I don't know a ton about these types of films. It, why is it that in the original, it's very overly sexualized in like a male dominance kind of way that I didn't quite understand? Is that a trope for these kinds of things? Well, it's a vampire trope that they are ultra sexy, ultra hypnotizing. And when a woman sees them, they want to have sex with them immediately. Gotcha. Okay. That's his power. But obviously it plays into, you know, Charlie's never had sex. He really wants to right. have sex. And it makes the sex more uh, a forefront of the film. I'm sure a lot of people who hadn't had sex watch that movie going, wow, Amy's just putting it out there for that vampire. But no, it's because he's a vampire. Okay. But I also didn't quite understand the hypnotism thing that happened in the club scene because it seemed like when he was exerting influence on Amy as a character, we were shown that not just with the fact that she did sort of like went along with whatever he was doing, but also her hair would change. Yeah, I believe it got longer while she was a vampire. And then as soon as she wasn't a vampire anymore, it went right back to its original length. But also in the club scene, her hair got all puffy and stuff. Is <laughs> is Was that just a weird thing for this movie? <laughs> or is that also a vampire trope? I think that was just a, you know, they're in the club and wanted to make it kind of cool in the remake, in the club is genuinely terrifying. Yes. She doesn't want to succumb, and then he bites her. And you're genuinely like, wow, like, 
he just threw her over his shoulder instead of walking out with her. This is crazy. I thought it was a really smart move to set the new one in the Las Vegas suburbs because it immediately isolated them as characters. We have that scene early in the movie showing that Charlie's mom is a real estate agent talking about how people don't really live there anymore and she's trying to track people down to move in and so it's nice to have a new neighbor. There's also a lot of talk about abandoned houses and how people come and go in Las Vegas. It's kind of a transient town so like they set that up incredibly well so that things like in the 85 version when ha- when the house is exploding and people are screaming and dying <laughs> nobody seems to care or notice in the old one but in the new one it's kind of explained why no one would care or notice cuz there's nobody else there well you got to also remember that the 80s was a time of they're just coming off of gothic horror they want to keep those elements and that's why the abandoned house in the 85 fright night has like smoke billowing from it okay. it looks like the house on the street you do not want to go near and then fast forward we understand that suburbs are scary dawn of the dead has come out we've watched the zombie apocalypse we know that fear can live next door and so it's just a mundane whatever house but once you go inside that's when the horror happens gotcha because okay. he's got this terrifying house that has walls and closets for people and i mean that's terrifying enough on its own right. without adding the vampire element which let's face it in both the vampire element is pretty hokey as a plot <laughs> device yeah i think what really benefits the new one is just the script and actors are on a way different plane oh yeah of existence than the people from the 85 fright night yeah as i'm saying that fright night has a massive cult following in particular for the incredible practical effects mm-hmm. and the silliness of an entire generation watching the evening horror movie with some silly host and then having that host be believed as an actual vampire hunter coming in and swooping <laughs> in. That meta was new then. So the more you're talking about this, the more I'm realizing that the 1985 version is supposed to be a little bit satirical on the genre. And I I think that flew over my head because I have no knowledge of anything that really came before it as far as that genre of film goes. Yeah, man, that totally sounds fair. And, And you're not supposed to know it. And a lot of times we come into these movies never having seen them. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to put ourselves in a place of like, okay, let's remember before this happened. And what were people thinking? It's very different to come into a movie like that uh, than it is our like 2020 brains. And holy crap, like this is a movie that is over 30 years old now. I think just to come back to some of your points about how, like, the new version had so much better acting, the acting matters as far as, like, drawing you into a film. Like, in the in the opening 10 minutes of the 2011 version, I cared more about these characters than I ever did in the 85 version. The 85 version it really just felt like they were just signposts for things that were meant to happen. They weren't fully fleshed out characters, whereas in the new one, based on better acting, a better script, better pacing of the plot, better alignment of plot points, it allowed me to enjoy them as people and then want them to do well and want them to succeed and want them to survive the whole thing in a way I just didn't care in the first one. It is not a scary movie. 
the original. There's nothing. There's no tension ever. I find in the original Fright Night. Yeah, I find it's backed up with practical effects that are really good, and I really like Christopher Sarandon. I think he is great as Jerry the Vampire. He's certainly weird. Yeah, he's totally weird. <laughs> it's very off-putting. Knowing how movies work today, it is shocking how quickly they reveal Jerry as, like, the monster. It's within the first 20 minutes. Yeah, that's something that, like, Ryan Johnson did in Knives Out that was very unique for that kind of genre as well, right? Just, like, reveal the killer near the start of the film, and then the whole thing becomes about something else, I really thought that the original Fright Night was going to be more about Charlie trying to express to the people around him that there's something happening. I thought the humor was really going to come from that. He's the only one who sees this and everyone else is just like, oh, this guy's awesome. And they didn't really lean into that the way that I thought that they could have in either of these versions. One of the things about the original Fright Night that I still to this day do not understand is the ghoul of Billy who is half vampire. I don't even know what he is. He's like a person who can go out in the day and protect Jerry, but then he gets riddled with bullets and no problem. It's like he's half vampire, but it makes no sense. I feel like there's a deleted scene somewhere of him being turned because they've done like a good deed for a vampire that um wasn't that the thing in Blade? Yes. Okay, so if you if you serve us well, we'll turn you into a vampire. So I was kind of projecting that he did some good deed and Jerry turned him into a vampire before they came to attack the house or turned him into a vampire to like be an extra measure of protection at that point. That's sort of how I read it, but they certainly didn't explain it. It was just kind of this random thing that happened. To this day I don't know. I don't think the director's ever commented on it. The director also sees this film and knows its shortcomings. He's actually said about a couple of scenes where there was a mirror in the shot and he couldn't work around Sarandon to get him out of the shot. He's like, I'm just, I just didn't do it well. In 1985, that would have been incredibly difficult to do practically in every shot. There's a lot of mirrors in that movie. I am amazed by Amanda Bierce in the original one. She is Amy. Because at the very beginning, she comes off as kind of nerdy, kind of a prude, and she looks really young. But by the end of filming, in my brain, she got more attractive. When she becomes a vampire, she actually has a prosthetic breastplate to enhance her cleavage. <laughs> and it's shocking to me because they're supposed to be high school kids. Amanda Bierce was 27 when she shot this. Was she really? Oh, yeah. Then she went on to do Married with Children. Wow. It blows my mind. But one thing we haven't touched on really is the Peter Vincent character played by Roddy McDowell. So he basically is like a network television host who gets fired because nobody wants to, you know, watch vampire movies anymore except this one kid. He is the one they call to fight this vampire. And what's really interesting is that the way they did it in the remake and how this is an, a Las Vegas magician who's into supernatural stuff. I found that an easier hurdle to jump in the new one. Tenet brings so much to every role. It's all the little things with Tenet. I just want to like 
ode to David Tennant here for a second, if that's okay with you. But he just always looks like he's having so much fun. But the moment where he's meeting Charlie and he starts like taking off his wig and he takes off his beard and then he's taking out his piercings so that he starts washing his tattoos off. I was howling, it's, dude. He's, he's so good. <laughs> it made him so likable. I loved to dislike him because of those little kinds of moments where he's just such a phony. They also did an interesting thing with him they made him a victim of Jerry as a child. Yeah, which was interesting. Interesting. I don't know if it was really necessary. I kind of liked the idea that this actor never believed in it. He just did it for a paycheck. Mm -hmm. It added something to it to make it more official on why he would know about this stuff. I also really enjoyed when both of those characters in both movies have a turn, right? Where they are asked to be helpful to go and save Amy and they both say no. And Roddy McDowell shows up and he just magically gets over his fear and they don't talk about it. There's no motivation there. It's just he wasn't going to come and now he's there. And I liked that Tennant has that moment to be like, you don't want to be the person who doesn't show up. And now you're right. I don't want to be that person either. And he shows up and he's got all the gear and he's looking badass. And then he jumps down into the basement and falls over and kind of screams. And that made me laugh so hard because it's just so consistent through the whole thing that he's such a phony. He added to the movie in the new one in a way that I didn't think Roddy added in the old one. He was just kind of there as well. It's just like the sad old man who got fired. Right. He doesn't have as much of a redeeming quality, except I really like the moment where he has faith in the cross. What do we think of Colin Farrell as the role of Jerry in the remake? Because it was supposed to go to Heath Ledger, but he passed away. Oh, that would have been very interesting. It's a little strange to me that Colin Farrell would do this role. It's it's interesting to look at his IMDb because the same year that Fright Night came out, he did Horrible Bosses. And in Horrible Bosses, he looked like he was having so much fun just being an a-hole. And he could have had a ton of fun with this Jerry character in Fright Night. And it just looked like he wasn't fully into it. Right. I I agree with that. I mean, he originally had a lot more ideas for the script that didn't actually happen. Mm. He had concerns about being a vampire. He, he was concerned that it was coming off too much as a sexual predator. He also wanted like a monologue in Latin. He thought it would be threatening. He even hired a, a Latin tutor. I think he wanted more out of the role than what actually happened. Chris looked like he was having a ton of fun playing Jerry. He was just so over the top. It was so campy and weird. And Colin Farrell just was a little disappointing as a follow-up. Colin Farrell's kind of a method guy. He did bite down on Christopher Mintz Plasse's stunt double real hard with the fangs, <laughs> actually puncturing him. Oh, wow. He's the kind of guy who does get into a role. But yeah, I'm with you. I don't really see it so much in this one. The standout for me is the late Anton Yelkin. Oh, yeah. I love Anton Yelkin or Yelchin in every single thing he's ever done. I've seen as much of him as I can. Oh, so good. It's a great loss. If you hadn't heard, it was a tragedy. It was not popping pills. His car was in park. He, wa he walked down to the end of the driveway and a mechanism failed on his car and ran him over. Horrible death. And it's such a, a shocking loss, but he is the heart and soul and such a better Charlie. He really is a guy next door who's, he's trying to fit in with his new friends and he doesn't want to really piss off his old friends. It's just a really 
interesting role for him to play. And that's what adds more depth to the character is all these little extras. It's not just that the character is better because the acting is better from Anton, which it very, very clearly is. But also, the character's better written. He's smarter in this movie than he is in the original. When he shows up to go and save Amy, he breaks all the windows right away. He's getting prepped for a fight, and he shows up well-prepped with a plan. Charlie version 2 knows what's up, man. (laughs) It was way more interesting and fun to watch him kind of work through all of this stuff and be scared and be proactive. And how he fakes his way in to meet Peter Vincent by pretending to be press. Like Mm -hmm. he is with it. I think this is a case where a reboot or a remake is, it's better than its predecessor, which the internet does not seem to agree with. Like the rotten tomatoes ratings on the original are higher than the remake. Uh, That's gotta be nostalgia speaking. (laughs) It's nostalgia. It's cult. It's people who love horror movies, who love practical effects And that pacing issue that you really do get in the 85 version is not nearly as bad. There's a great scene, too, where Charlie is in Jerry's house trying to find this girl, Doris. And that ramps up the fear level so much more for Jerry as Predator than Sarandon's vampire ever does. And in that moment when they escape and the relief on both of their faces at having got out into the sun and then she explodes. Boy, did I ever not see that coming. It took me totally by surprise. What an amazing moment to just fully establish for Charlie what's happening. And then you go back inside and Jerry is is there just smiling. He knew the whole time. Uh, so creepy. Watching them leave, like, uh, while he eats an apple. <laughs> what an a-hole. He's such a dick. <laughs> Look, here's the thing. It also is pulled off by a better director. You have Craig Gillespie, I think it is, who did I, Tanya, Lars and the Real Girl. And then you have, like, Tom Holland. This is Tom Holland's first movie. He goes on to do Child's Play, which is huge. He does Thinner, which is some garbage. (laughs) He hasn't really had a big movie since. But also I love that Craig Gillespie did I, Tonya, and Lars and the Real Girl, but also a Fright Night remake because he just really wanted to. I just read just now Colin Farrell took the role because he liked Craig Gillespie's work on Lars and the Real Girl. Well, man, I mean, I've only got a couple other notes here, like uh, the kissing sound effects in the 1985 version that opened the movie are just terrifying. That's probably the grossest part of the entire movie. They're so gross. My only other question was, why does it take Amy so long to do a transition when the when evil was a vampire, like, basically immediately? I don't understand why she had to writhe around on the floor like that, other than just to sexualize her, so whatever. And then in the new one, I really enjoyed when his mom staked Jerry with a real estate sign. I thought that was wonderful. (laughs) You know, that was one thing that was really different than the 85 version is that the mom now knows there are vampires. Yep. And was like very involved. In the 85 version, just like so many 80s movies, there is no parenting. That's right. We've talked about that before. No parenting in movies about 80s kids. (laughs) Never. It's like, if you're going to do a movie with 80s parenting, that parent's going to be at work late or never home for whatever reason. But I think my favorite part of the new one, Jay, was Ginger. I really enjoyed her character and her interactions with David Tennant. Every time she was in a scene with him, I laughed. Because they're so in love, 
But they also hate each other. Oh, boy, do they hate each other. And it's just great. It's just fantastic. I genuinely think that if you've never seen either one of these movies, I think you should watch them both. I, I can't believe how close a link of the new Fright Night is to the original story. But you also get a way more fleshed out film. The newer version is definitely the superior version of the story. The original is so weird and so campy and it feels so long, even though they are basically the same length. (laughs) But it feels so much longer. And you know what else is interesting on IMDb? Fright Night 1985 is called a horror thriller. And in the 2011 version, it's called a horror comedy, which I don't think it is. I laughed out loud a ton watching the new one in ways I never did in the original. Okay, so maybe it is, in fact, a horror comedy, and that is a shift, and that's why Fright Night was was so different. Like, his second I saw that the screenplay was written by Marty Noxon, I went, oh, well, this this all makes way more sense to me, because that's totally like a dark sense of humor that I always seem to connect with, and I've been a fan of her work for a long time. I think the fun part of this, Chris, is doing these old remakes while we don't have any new movies coming out. I think it's going to be fun watching you watch a bunch of horror movies and not having any idea what the <laughs> hell is going on. Well, so far, so good. I I don't know. These were super fun to watch. So let us know what you think also. Uh, if you think that this is a lot of fun, that we're we're doing these old remakes, obviously COVID-19 is still going on. It's it's still strong in the world. And we're just trying to, to make sure you still have some content while every movie gets canceled. Next time on We Saw a Thing. Theaters have shut their doors, studios are testing the waters with VOD, and we're all looking for things to occupy our time. So We Saw a Thing will be doing weekly episodes until things get back to normal. Vanilla Sky is a remake of a movie called Open Your Eyes. So we're watching both. Join us next Thursday. We Saw a Thing is hosted by Jay Kennedy and Chris Shapcott. Produced by Shapcott Media. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And check our show notes for links to rent or buy any of the movies we've discussed. Links to our social media and credits. And leave a review on Apple Podcasts.